0: Good morning, Parkview. It's good to be with you in worship this morning. I had the privilege of preaching at our East Campus last week, and what a delight it was to share and fellowship with our brothers and sisters there. Today is our fourth Sunday in a four week series. So we're going to wrap it up today. Actually, next week we're going to be diving into the book of James. We're going to be in the book of James for the summer. So buckle your seatbelts for that. That's a lot of information, a lot of guidance, a lot of imperatives that will be coming at you pretty quick. Again, Parkview's vision is a whole church making whole disciples for the good of all people and for the glory of God. And that's a great vision, and it's important that we understand then what. A definition of a whole disciple is. If we're saying that that is our vision to be a whole church making whole disciples, we need to understand what a whole disciple is. And so that definition is a whole disciple is a forgiven child of God who is taking the next step to learn Jesus, to love Jesus, and to live Jesus. And by way of reminder, our first Sunday we were in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We started out by understanding what a disciple is, and that's that first part of the definition, a forgiven child of God. This is the work of Jesus Christ. He accomplished this for us. We receive it by grace. The second part of that definition is what a disciple then does, which is to learn Jesus, to love Jesus, and to live Jesus. Again, we must not place uh, too much emphasis on doing before we get the being right. We need to understand who we are. It's dangerous when we do that because we then could allow ourselves to believe that we're disciples according to our own merit because of something we've done. And that's not the case. We are a whole disciple who is a forgiven child of God, who then is taking these steps, because being comes before doing. Two weeks ago, the focus then was on learn Jesus, and we saw three traits in that. Trait one, submits to God's Word. Trait two, embraces true identity in Christ, and that putting off of the old and the putting on of the new. And trait three, grows with God's people. That's that uh, church body, the family factor of that. Last week, Pastor Doug was here, and, and he spoke to you about loving Jesus out of John 21. And the first trait being, loves Jesus passionately above all else. Loves Jesus passionately above all else. Second trait, uh, repeats uh, repents with a humble heart. We respond in love and we're humbled by our condition apart from Christ. And our third trait, loves God's people. A distinguishing mark of being a Christian, a disciple, is love. This week I will focus us in on living Jesus. We'll see three traits of a whole disciple who lives Jesus. Trait one, pursues the Spirit's leading prayerfully. Trait two, stewards all of life for God's glory. And trait three, invites others to take the next step toward Jesus. Today our text will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 starting in verse 2. So you can turn there and be ready or have your device on. We'll have it on the screen for you as well. And we're not going to do a, a deep dive into the text. This is not going to be a deep exposition, but I think you'll see why we chose this text for today. Let's read it together. again, First Thessalonians, chapter one, starting in verse two. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. for we never came with words of flattery as you know nor were the pretext for greed god is witness nor did we seek glory from people whether from you or from others though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children so, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you. And Father, thank you for this text and the richness of it and, and for this time of focusing in on what a whole disciple looks like. Lord, we desire to have the right target as a church, as a ministry, that we would truly make whole disciples for you. And we as a church will rally and, and raise up men and women who follow after Jesus Christ that we pass that on to our children and to our children's children. Father, we commit this time to you and we ask that you would work uh, at East Campus today. Would you bless that time and, and work here in our midst? May your spirit have his way in our hearts and in our lives. And we give you all the glory and the praise. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. It is our fervent hope and prayer that this series proves to be inspiring to you and to your personal faith. As believers in Jesus, as people who seek to to love the Lord and and seek the Holy Spirit's direction in our lives, we, we need to embrace the truth that we are never done learning and growing in our faith. No matter where you are in your faith right now, you've not arrived. There's more to learn. There's more to grow in. And I want to challenge you in that way. It is my strong conviction that believers in Christ who are not growing in their faith are often frustrated and even disappointed. There's something about our faith that that it needs to be fed. It needs to grow. and, And we're giving you a good roadmap, I think, for further growth and discipleship. Maybe you have been in the past or you are now in a place where you look at other people and you wonder why it is they have such enthusiasm about their faith. You find yourself asking questions like, why would they give so much of their time to this ministry or that ministry or doing things for other people? Why would they get so excited about the scriptures that they're reading? their personal devotion time or their Bible studies they're part of? Why would they give so generously and so joyfully? It isn't time at a premium? And, and, and didn't they work hard for those funds or their resources? Why would they give it away? Why would people share their faith so boldly even when it is often rejected and even mocked? Why would they be so committed to prayer? Maybe there's other whys you would add to that. You see, living Jesus is a natural outflow of having learned Jesus and loved Jesus. The more we know about the Lord and his word, the more we love the Lord and his word. That love for Jesus then drives us to live for Jesus. Jesus. The first trait of living Jesus is pursues the Spirit's leading prayerfully. Look again at uh, verse 2 of chapter 1. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Paul and Silvanus, which is a Roman name for Silas, Paul, Silas, and Timothy are writing to the church at Thessalonica here, and they're thanking God for them always, constantly lifting them up in prayer. And I would, I would suggest to you that there's an indication here of work that has already been accomplished by God in their lives. So they are giving thanks and credit to God for work of faith, labor of love, And hope in the Lord Jesus. And why are they doing that? Look at the fourth verse again. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. They're giving thanks and credit to God because they're saying, Listen, you are loved by God. He has chosen you. And the gospel came to you in word, but not just in word. It wasn't just spoken to you, it came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. It came with conviction. Understand all the good that has happened in their midst was God's doing. Paul and Silas and Timothy are acknowledging this and and giving credit where credit is due. They understood the Holy Spirit had been their guide and had empowered them to be used in the process to bring these people to faith and bring them along in their faith. Been empowered by the Spirit. Led by the Spirit. Some years ago, during a missions Sunday morning. A man who attended church that day in his morning devotions had been praying that the Spirit of God would guide him and lead him, which was his common prayer. During that morning service, he became powerfully convicted that one of these missionaries was in great need. He didn't know this. And he came, became convinced that the Spirit of God was telling him he needed to buy a car for a missionary. He was wrestling through this, and he, he came and pulled some of those pastors aside between the services, and he said, I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm, so, I'm so overwhelmed by this sense, this, I, I just feel like I need to do it. I, do you know of any needs? And So, we spent a little bit of time inquiring, just asking some different questions of what the needs were of some of these missionaries who were present for this weekend. One of the couples answered the question, they said, actually, our our need is really practical. Just yesterday while we were here, our mechanic called us and told us that our engine has irreparable damage. We really need a vehicle. The next day, this man went with them and bought them a vehicle. The Spirit of God had been working in his heart. He was asking for that guidance, and he was obedient. You see, the first trait is to pursue the Spirit's leading prayerfully, understanding God has to be doing it. He has to be driving it. Second trait, stewards all of life for God's glory. Look at chapter 2 there, starting in verse 7. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Look at the imagery that's used here to communicate how they were when they were with them. Gentle, like a nursing mother. Further on in the chapter in verse 11, it says, like a a father with a child, we exhorted you. Affectionately desirous of you. And it led to them being ready to share with them the gospel of God. Now, I want you to think personally here for a minute. Do you realize that if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, that you are to be a good steward of that glorious, magnificent reality? You are to steward that. You have in your possession. The greatest truth that any man or woman or child could ever know. The gospel of Jesus Christ. That in our lostness, in our sin, Jesus takes on flesh incarnate, God incarnate, God with us. Dwells among us, is tempted and is victorious, lives without sin and dies on the cross. Taking the wrath of God upon himself. Wrath that was due for you and I going to the grave and rising in victory and inviting us to be children of the living God. If you know that, if you've embraced that, you are to be a steward of that. That magnificent reality, that glorious truth, you have a responsibility with that. And and I ask you this morning, how are you stewarding the gospel? do you just keep it to yourself? Got good news? It's all mine? Really happy about it? Do you share it? Do you live it out for people to see? Do you live in such a way that your life is and and people see the gospel in and through you? Notice that they said, ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also our very selves. The idea is here is whatever's needed, we would share. We're going to throw it all on the line so that you can hear the gospel. Stewarding all of life for God's glory. Why? Because you'd become very dear to us. Have you ever considered how inefficient love is? A pastor friend of mine recently said something to that effect. It really struck me. Love is inefficient. Now, I'm not talking about the emotional, like, puppy love kind of mm, kind of stuff, right? That stuff's free. That comes easy. But that, that love, that real love, costly love, In John chapter 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. That's inefficient. Is it not? That's inefficient to lay down your life for your friends. They said, listen, we, we share with you the gospel and our very lives, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to anyone while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Occasionally, God has blessed me with a close-up view of what this can look like. I remember visiting a church member in a, in a nursing home and as I was making my way through the hallways and getting back to that room, I'd noticed in one of the rooms was another one of our church members sitting talking to someone. And I didn't know of anyone in that room, and it was interesting to me, but I went on and onto the room and I sat with this individual and was, was talking. And then this other individual that I'd passed made her way into that room as well. Greeted me. He was surprised to see me there. And so the two of us prayed with this individual. And then as I was walking out with her, I asked the question, I said, is there someone else in here from our church that I should know about? She said, no. I, I, I said, do you have a relative here? She said, no. I said, okay, I gotta ask. I said, I saw you visiting someone. Who were you visiting? And she just kind of recoiled a little bit and didn't want to say anything. And I pressed her harder. I said, no, tell me. She said, you know, one day when I was coming in here to visit, I just felt like the Spirit of God was telling me to ask a question of the nurses. And I went to the nurses' station, and I just simply asked, who here has no one ever visit them? Who here gets no Mother's Day card or Father's Day card? Who here has nobody send them a birthday card? And that individual was one of them. And she said, I just wanted to love somebody that doesn't get loved. What a beautiful picture of stewarding all of life for God's glory. Stealthy givers, sometimes people who give of their resources, of their time, and don't want anybody to know about it. Being generous with people, finding out what needs are and addressing those needs and and making making sure that the only one who could get glory for it is God because they don't want any of the glory. It's this understanding of all that I have, my time, my resources, my finances, they're God's, and so I'm going to use them in such a way that they give God glory. All that you are and all that you have is the Lord's. Trait one, pursues the Spirit's leading prayerfully. Trait two, stewards all of life for God's glory. And trait three, invites others to take the next step towards Jesus. Look with me at the first chapter again at verse six. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. God had used Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and clearly invited these Thessalonians to follow Jesus. And here we read that that, that they are now guiding other people to do the same. You became imitators of the Lord and and also of us, right? You became an example to those other believers in, in Macedonia and Achaia. Understand that when you talk about inviting others to take the next step toward Jesus, I think there's two parts of that. The first one is the initial sharing of the gospel and the second one is this encouraging believers then to take their next step of faith. And that seems to be what's identified here is that second one. Became examples to the believers. When I get an opportunity to have discussions with believers and they're sharing the ways in which they share their faith or the ways in which they serve, I will almost always follow that discussion with a question. And I ask them, who are you bringing along with you in that? Who is behind you in this? Who are you training to do what you're doing? If you think of the ministry of Jesus, what does he do? He he gathers his disciples and, and he does ministry for them to see and they're amazed by it. And then he involves them in the ministry and then he sends them out. He commissions them and invites them to invite other people. Sometimes the ministries that we do, uh, we need to bring bringing other people along. And say, hey, you know, why don't you do this with me? Or just watch. Or you just pray. And then next time, you're going to do it with me. We'll do it side by side. Hey, and the next time I'm going to have you do it. And I'm going to stay back and pray for you. And then, by the way, who's helping you? Who are you training up to do what you're doing? Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes humility can be a roadblock to this. We're serving the Lord in such a way that we're not bragging about or not telling anybody else and we're being so humble about it that we're not encouraging other believers to join us in it. Like we don't want to draw any attention to ourselves but, but we're just serving but at some point we need to invite other believers along who are growing in their faith and I would suggest that this is best born from relationships, people that we know well who know our hearts, who know our intentions. Faithfulness encourages growth. So that's bringing other believers along to take the next step toward Christ. But there's also the initial sharing of the Gospels, inviting unbelievers to take the next step toward Jesus. Look again at chapter 2, verse 2. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the Gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity, Or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Boldness to declare to you the gospel with pure motives. To please God, not to please man. Maybe you've experienced this. From time to time, a Christian's enthusiasm or zeal to share the gospel may cause the recipient to think that the person is only sharing with them to earn some kind of credit with God. This person is only sharing Jesus with me to earn their status before God, to earn God's love or to, to get points with God. And therefore, it can be received as selfish rather than selfless. It's so important to be pure in motive and genuine in spirit. And one of the ways we do that is to first remember our own source of salvation. And we remember that first part of of what a whole disciple is, a forgiven child of God. So we understand in our motivation and sharing and serving others, we're not trying to, to gain our access into heaven. Jesus has already taken care of that. We're forgiven children of God. We're in the family. Jesus paid it all. Our ticket to heaven has been punched, so to speak. So we serve and we share, first, out of our love for God and what He's done for us, and second, out of genuine love for the people around us. Pure motives. labor and toil to not be a burden to you while we proclaimed the gospel to you. They, they were very careful that they, they weren't a burden to the people they were trying to share Christ with, that there couldn't be any confusion about the mot, mot, motives or, or why they were doing it. You see, stewarding of the gospel of, of Jesus requires an effort on our part. But we do it out of love and a desire for there to be no reason for people to doubt our motives. I want to get personal here for a minute. I want you to think about someone or some people that God has used in your life to help your faith come to where it is today. Let those people just be pictured in your mind or think about them. Review the names. Someone who faithfully cultivated the ground in your life at some point. They were just consistently kind and loving. Maybe just good examples to you of what it is to live joyfully in Christ. They were consistent in their care, maybe. They shared with you the good news. They, they actually told you about Jesus. And they taught you the word of God. Maybe it was because they hung in there with you even when you kept messing up. When you had fallen, when you had sinned, when you had totally messed everything up. They were still there for you. I hope you have someone in your life who's done that for you. And if so, I hope you are grateful to God for them. Isaiah 52 says, How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Seems like a strange time of year for me to talk about Christmas lights. I enjoy Christmas lights on people's homes, tastefully done. I do not enjoy putting Christmas lights on my home. Over the years, it seems like I always chose the worst day of December to do it. There were some good days, you know, less intense days to do it, but I didn't do it on those days and always ended up being on those days when you didn't want to be on a roof. Fortunately, as my older sons grew, I was able to share the work with them, put them at risk, good parenting again. (laughs) But you know, there's something very simple and very basic about putting Christmas lights up, that you put that first string in there and you plug it in and it lights up hopefully right and it lights up and then you move down along the gutter along the roof and wherever you're doing it and you plug another light in and it lights up and you begin to place them and very a very simple fact about doing that is if if you do not plug the next string in it will not light up And your efforts are in vain. Connections are essential. Jesus said, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 5: let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're here today and you know Jesus because someone else was faithful, Can I ask you then to do that for someone else? Don't be the last strip of lights in that that row. Don't let the good news of Jesus stop with you. Don't let it be something where you just go, okay, good, I'm good for heaven, that's good, now I just live my life. The radical reality of the gospel says it will affect the way I live. It will affect my priorities. It will affect my time. It will affect my relationships. It will affect my finances. Because it's so radically beautiful that others have to be included in it. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in such a way that the light continues on beyond me. That the good news of the gospel is transmitted. How could we truly know and appreciate how beautiful and magnificent the gospel of Jesus Christ is and decide we do not want to share it? How could that be? It's beautiful, it's glorious, it's the best news ever.